This is the legal disclaimer, where I tell you that the views, thoughts, and opinions shared on this podcast belong solely to our guests and hosts, and not necessarily Brady or Brady's affiliates. Please note, this podcast contains discussions of violence that some people may find disturbing. It's okay, we find it disturbing too. Welcome back to another episode of Red, Blue, and Brady. I'm one of your hosts, JJ. And I'm your other host, Kelly. And today we are joined by some amazing folks hailing all the way from Michigan. Woo! That's my home state. It's lovely. It was a lot of Michigan superiority (laughs) in this podcast. (laughs) If you seek a pleasant peninsula, look about you. That's the state motto. Thank you, state history class in fourth grade. Well, that's not what this podcast is about, though. Although, (laughs) shout out to Michigan's tourism board. (laughs) Yeah, no, today we're talking about something that impacts this whole country. And that's the ways in which racism, you know, sort of impacts Asian American and Pacific Islanders relationship to firearms. And who better to to talk about this than two experts in this field, uh, Dr. Su Wang Wu and Xing Feng Shi, who were so kind to give us their time and expertise. everyone. My name is Sue Wing Wu. I am a professor uh, in nursing at EMU, Eastern Michigan University, and I also direct Center for Health Disparity, Innovations, and Studies. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Hi, this is Xinfang Xie. I am a research assistant professor at the University of Michigan Institute for Firearm Injury Prevention. I have my training and research programs in health behavior and health education from School of Public Health, University of Michigan. I am also especially interested in looking at uh, ways to address health disparities among, uh, around firearm injury risk and around other chronic conditions as a result of violence exposure and as a result of racism. Well, and as we sit down to discuss your work, you know, not just this phenomenal study that you did on on racist experiences and how they impact gun buying behavior, you know, I'm wondering if we can start from, you know, what brought the two of you into researching this work to begin with? You know, what prompted this study? So we really started this idea in the beginning of the pandemic because we we noted a huge surge of anti-Asian hate and uh, also a huge surge of firearm purchase back then uh, among Asian Americans and among other communities too. So that really get us to be really curious about what's the link between the two. I want to talk a little bit about what we noticed in the, during the pandemic about anti-Asian hate. Uh, we know period between March 2020 to February 2021, there was about 200 uh, surge fold uh, uh, that increase of the the hate crime that's experienced by Asian American, and that's probably an underestimate because we only look at the reported ones, not to mention those racism acts that's experienced by Asian Americans that's not even being reported. And there were mass shootings that happening like in March 2021, the Atlanta spot shooting. So Zuin and I started this conversation about we should really pay attention to this issue. 
And I should also mention that it really triggered this huge motivation behind us is that I was looking at my email, you know, it's back in April 2020. So we work with uh, Asian uh, Asian community organizations across in Michigan, and particularly in this uh, Battle Creek, where the Burmese uh, refugee settlement has there's a Burma Center. And uh, the colleague, uh, the ED executive director, uh, Ta, uh, she kind of uh, called me and was like, you know, do you know that she was actually contacted by a firearm kind of uh, a gun uh, shop owner? And he went to Ta and asking her, you know, why all of a sudden the Burmese, you know, the very quiet and very peaceful, you know, uh, making kind of uh, uh, people actually come out and to his uh, store and purchase guns. And that's actually happened in our communities uh, in uh, Michigan. And as you probably know, that Michigan, unlike the West Coast or uh, New York, we, we did not have much of those type of uh, incident reported. If you look at the demographics, and we actually have maps in our study to show where the incident of racism are the highest. Michigan is not, you know, one of them. But then this actually um, was what I just described was happening, you know, in this very quiet little, not little town, but again, it's not a big urban city. And so in our study started getting approval and then kind of conceptualizing, take a few, uh, uh, probably a, a half year. So we started collecting data um, the end of 2020 around December time. That's so interesting. And the study that you both worked on was kind of the first to explore this association between racism and firearm related behaviors and intentions among Asian Americans. And I'm wondering, why do you think that your study was the first of its kind? Yeah, so uh, I really thought about it, that the pandemic is that context that we are especially interested in because of the surge of the racism experience and understandably living in fear and this uh, hate crime, increased hate crime Asian American experience would uh, understandably trigger some safety concern and would understandably understandably trigger some firearm purchase as a way to cope with this. So that's our hypothesis. But back then, Zuin and I looking to the data sources that we could possibly find and really just did not find much. So that's the motivation for us to start thinking, okay, we want to collect the data and support or find answer of this question we have. So I think uh, we heard about structural racism a lot, and it's not, I, I don't think Asian American is the only <laughs> populations or group as experiencing this. You know, we see it in the African American communities and, and other minority groups. But what does that mean, right? It's a very abstract concept. And even you ask researchers or that they have different definitions. And I think this study in itself kind of explains what the racism look like and could have some consequences or um, which has an impact on health outcomes and risks. And I think, you know, where you started saying, how do you pin the two together, which I think, you know, we know that people you know, have certain behavior and take some actions. In this case, firearm has some uh, underlying causes 
our roots in the pandemic, you know, this racism and everything, you know, happens in the community of color. And we, we find that, again, hypothesis. And uh, we know that we, and I'm very happy that this is one of the uh, very few study and just kind of uh, show the impact of what racism can be. Well, I, I think that brings up a good point. You, you say, you know, what racism can be. Can, can you break that down for our listeners, the, the different forms it can take? So I think in our study that racism is huge. And this, I think, you know, happens in every level. But for me or for for our team, uh, Dr. Xinfan and myself, we would like to, just like you said, operationalize what exactly look like. So we have three aspects of it. And the racism break down into the daily experience, just like when you go into a store that you were treated differently or someone, you know, um, because of your color or because of who you are. So you got a different treatment. And that's like a, a daily experience of racism. And I think, again, this could be, you know, not universal, could happen to other ethnic groups. That's the first one. And the second one is what we call the culture racism. And that's a little bit special and unique to Asians, particularly in the uh, pandemic, because our politicians kind of uh, blaming the Asian or Chinese Chinese is a, a cause of the, this whole pandemic. Um, so there's a term called the China virus. And this has been portrayed in the media, social media, TV, and other places. And that's what we call the culture racism because of during the pandemic that happened. And then that probably happens to not only Chinese and other Asian Americans that they thought people thought, hmm, they're could be Asians, you know, or, or they don't make the difference. So that's a culture racism that uh, we kind of operationize in our study. And the third one is the stress. So after what you experience, you know, what your body, some, you know, produce some kind of psychological responses, you become more alert, agile, and then, you know, agitated and, you know, worrisome. When you, you know, you, you look around when you go out and when you go to a store, you're afraid, you know, to go into certain places. And that's a stress. So we have all measured all three of that. That is so, you know, useful the way that you broke it down, because to your point about operationalizing, like all of those things are racism, but, you know, it's different iterations of it. And I think it really helps make it very practical for people who maybe have experienced these things and can't necessarily put a word to it or who don't experience these things, but want to understand. And one of the things that you all found is that compared to other ethnic groups, Asian Americans tend to own firearms at lower rates, but a significant amount um, of respondents became first-time gun owners during the pandemic. And I'm wondering, you know, why was that? And how did experiences of racism motivate those new purchases? So I, I want to go back to how we look at different kinds of racism. And we found, you know, each of them in some way predict the firearm purchase or firearm behavior. But within these uh, three things that Dr. Wu mentioned, uh, what we found is the direct racism experience is the most consistent predictor of firearm purchase, of firearm courage, for more ammunition purchase and, and, and intention to like to purchase or more ammunition or firearm. So that is telling me one thing, uh, which is 
you know, that is probably the direct experience they have that trigger most of the fear concern or the safety concern, and which in turn predict these behavior. We also ask participants if they do carry their gun more frequently since the pandemic, and a lot of them did. And I think 70% of them told them told us uh, the reason they carry the gun more frequently is because of safety concern, because they want protection. So go back to this pandemic context. What I really learned from the study that we did together is that, you know, firearm owners make this decision to purchase firearm for different reasons. But in the Asian American case, it's important to think about racism. It's important to think about the motivation why they purchase firearm. That is because they want more safety. And if from that perspective, what kind of step we could do, like what kind of public health approach we could tailor toward addressing these concerns, that's something I think that's especially important for us to learn. Yeah, and I would really encourage our listeners to go check out the website, Stop AAPI Hate, where folks could self-report in some of the, the awful things that they were experiencing. I know, as, as both of you have pointed out, you know, there was underreporting likely occurring as well. But what really struck me about that is that the folks who it seemed like the majority of these racist attacks were against were identified as women or elderly folks are then becoming large populations of gun purchasers. I'm assuming because it's, it's you know, identities that feel like they're being doubly attacked, maybe. Yes, that's something special about Asian Americans, too. And exactly what we learned. It seems like older uh, adults and women tend to be more a target of um, these racism and hate, hate acts. And what can we do to help them to feel safe? And how about their family member? Is there any informed decision-making we could help if they are considering purchasing firearm, what kind of risk they should consider versus, you know, the purpose of keeping everybody safe within this context? Well, and the gun lobby certainly, too, I'm sure, has been advertising or been focusing on increasing that ownership, you know, of folks who, who are members of those groups, too, right? We do um, learn from other researchers too. You know, not only we notice racism as a as a uh, reason for Asian Americans to purchase gun. The gun lobbying mar- uh, marketing is actually, you know, now looking at Asian Americans as a new segment or of marketing. Uh, population, right? Because of this fear or this uh, sense of protection they want to have. But then that is contradicting to uh, current research we know. Actually, owning gun is going to increase the risk of firearm suicide, and, and it also increases firearm homicide risk too. So um, all that take into account how how can we have conversation with uh, our Asian American community members to talk about this. Like, what are we trying to achieve here? If it's safety, when you are considering purchasing a gun, what kind of risk you want to put into your mind too? So, as a nurse, 
my training that uh, I'm particularly worried about the safety issues and how could we actually make this into a action level of uh, strategies because uh, it, it, the, the other things that in our city shows that you, you pointed out, most of them are first time owners and the safety issues that um, that they, when they have the gun at home, 43%, they're loaded, which is not <laughs> as safe at all. And the other one we, we look at it is that door locked and which could be a, a tremendous kind of uh, risk for children or um, people who don't know how to safely handle it, right? So if it's unlocked, anybody could get to it. So I think uh, we don't want anything. I personally, I don't want to see anything um, happen accidentally because of this. And so if that's why uh, Xingfang alluded earlier about what can we do, and I think your uh, show your program is definitely uh, 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 some things that we would like to get the messages out. You know, um, we don't want to create a huge kind of alarm, but we want to make sure people understand for um, any uh, firearm in the household do brings out the potential risk, uh, injuries and uh, mortalities, everything that uh, Xingfang just talked about. That is a sort of fantastic point that you drill down into, which is, you know, you're looking at firearm-related behavior. So not just purchasing a firearm, but also storage and how those firearms are actually treated. And I'm wondering, you know, what sorts of interventions or policies do you think are sort of implicated by what you found so far in terms of what are some things that you know, a, a city might need to do or even the country might need to do to kind of address and help protect against the firearm-related risk posed to Asian Americans that you found in your study? So, yes, exactly as uh, Dr. Wu mentioned, we have about 40% each of them said they are storing their gun either unlocked or, or loaded. And then one in four of them said they store their gun loaded and unlocked at the same time. So uh, that's just something really telling us exactly what um, Dr. Wu mentioned. How do we how do we address it? Because that that may make sense for the families that that are without children or teens and they want to have their uh, firearm readily accessible when there's threat. But at the same time, we also know from evidence that it's really rare uh, the event where individuals can use guns for self-protection. Protect, but uh, what's more concerning to us are probably the families with children and teens, and they have their firearms stored unsafely and can be accessible for children and teens. That's that's one huge implication we learned from this study and this data we have. And for Asian Americans, I, I actually look into it too. Um, you know, uh, firearm violence is probably not the major concern in terms of, you know, Asian American communities uh, staying pretty low. But there are also disparities within Asian Americans. So if you look at South 
and East Asian Americans, they they have these uh, firearm violence results really differently, right? So for a different ethnicity group, you may look at these firearm violence or injury outcome differently. And we, we want to pay attention to that too. Uh, how do we address this safety issue depending on the the specific culture within Asian American community. And I think um, the other things that could look into policy-wide is that for there's certain states, about a um, handful of them, probably 10 or 12 in the United States, require gun buyers to have firearm training. And I think that's a, that's a potential law that should be instituted in Michigan in particular, because I think once that you know that every when you purchase a, a firearm or a gun, you have a responsibility. I think, you know, that could, you know, put these uh, individuals on uh, some sort of uh, accountable. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that that in, in Michigan that we could look into that as a part of the advocacy. You know, one thing I could add is that uh, we do know that teen and youth firearm suicide can largely be attributed to access to a household firearm, right? So let go back to, you know, safety stories again, like in terms of training, how can we, how, how can we like talk to parents or have um, strategies that be available for parents if they do have firearm in their household? How do they have a safer storage approach? How do they even have a conversation with their children and teens about firearm potential, potential firearm exposure in their household? How do they keep them safe? And also, again, this suicide idea that's integrated into this like how do we make sure the firearm is not as easily accessible in a household where teens are there children are there and we know firearm suicide is uh, most likely you know a, a huge risk in this in this population and your your paper was sort of looking specifically at Asian Americans and firearm related behaviors during p- the pandemic. Do you think that some of these new attitudes or behaviors will continue after the pandemic, whatever after the pandemic means? Yeah, I, I think one thing we do know is that racism is not news to Asian Americans. It's uh, because of the pandemic, we see it kind of brought up on the surface even more than before, right? And I do suspect that both the racism acts that we're going to see against Asian Americans and also the concerns that Asian, Asian Americans have about racism will not just disappear. It will always be there. And whenever it shows on the news, it's going to trigger a lot of trauma in our community too. So that's why I see this is going to be a continuous issue. Um, we also know that families that purchase firearm, uh, they most likely will have that firearm around, right? Um, it's 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 there. They, they purchased it. So the proportion of Asian Americans' families who are going to be firearm owners is going to most likely increase. So this is a changing, changing um, epidemic 
that we're going to be facing. And sort of along these lines, I think you've kind of outlined some of the the limitations to this research and the fact that, you know, that this is the first of its kind, right? So you're you're building out more in the literature just by by putting this out there. But I'm wondering what other research you would like to see done in this area? What are what are the expansions that are are necessary? for us to get a better sense of, of what's really kind of going on out there and where things might go. And I don't want to feel the thunder because uh, Dr. Xinfang Shi and, and I, we, we just have a kind of NIH funding that we will be looking, like you said, you know, take it into the next step, um, take it into the next level and looking at the hate crimes in particular, because I think in this first study, we'll look, look at the self-report of uh, racism. So in this three-year NIH, it potentially could be a uh, research, you know, to really look at the environmental kind of scan and how that hate crimes where you earlier mentioned about the API hate kind of website reporting, that environmentally, um, how does that context uh, related to the firearm uh, behavior and uh, risk and we also were going to have a, a national coalition to have representing all the uh, different uh, regions in the nations, uh, API leaders, and forming this uh, uh, alliance. And we are doing, we are going to do the focus group and trying to understand and examine if there's any even regional differences and compare uh, similarity and differences of what. Uh, people are experiencing, AAPI experiencing. Yeah, sure. I could add to that. Yeah, this is a really, really exciting next step we have. We we right now know that uh, racism has an effect on um, Asian Americans' firearm behavior, but what we don't know is how structural racism playing a role. And as Dr. Wu mentioned, there's hate crime in the community that we want to look at. There's also, you know what, Asian American, we also have segregations going on, right? Um, we also have redlining as a structural racism indicator that Asian Americans suffer from as a historical uh, structural racism against Asian American. We want to look at this bare health access, especially mental health access, now that we know Asian Americans are suffering from racism, especially since the pandemic. All these are structural racism indicators that we could potentially look at. And previously, any research that's done for Asian Americans, especially when we're looking at structural racism, we oftentimes focus on single in- indicators. And this research we're going to do, it's going to allow us to look at these multiple indicators, at least four of them, and look at how they interplay or group together to, to influence uh, the life of Asian Americans. And the other thing uh, I want to mention is that uh, we do know if you look at firearm-related mortality among Asian Americans, uh, you would probably see that suicide is a larger proportion and uh, compared to homicide. And that um, leads us to think it's important to look at mental health outcomes as a result of racism when we are trying to examine this firearm-related outcome among Asian Americans. 
So that's one other area that we are really excited about in this newly funded research we're going to do. Uh, we're going to be able to look at mental health outcomes. We're going to be able to look at substance use outcome along with the firearm purchase and carriage and how that would influence the firearm related risk among Asian Americans. And one last thing I want to uh, talk about is, you know, Asian American is such a diverse community and doing, especially have done uh, many, many years of work looking into the differences of the Asian American communities and their health outcome. What uh, we found is that any data uh, looking at Asian Americans have been tend to like aggregate the data together. We're always treated as one group, right? And not until recently, uh, like CDC, for example, started to disaggregate, disaggregate this data among Asian Americans since like 2018. That's when, um, you know, it's a really exciting thing to see happening and it's kind of necessary thing to see happening is that we start to look at uh, Asian Americans and, and, and keep in mind that it's such a diverse community and how can we collect data so that we allow the narrative from each ethnic group come out uh, instead of just treating Asian Americans as a, a single group. So that's one thing I would really love to see our research move forward to. Well, congrats on that. And so I think that means you have to come back. <laughs> but I think you bring up a really good point on, you know, the AAPI community. That's a huge term to group a whole bunch of folks from a whole uh, a whole bunch of experiences together so it's not a monolithic experience there yeah um, and and we really look forward to collaborate with other researchers with uh, with multiple talents with um, different backgrounds to get to this issue well and i think what this with this study does even though it's focused on on a particular group of folks is it does make the point that you know you should care about this even if you yourself are not a member you know, even if you if even if you don't identify as Asian American, right? For me, please think about the people you care about. It could be your children, it could be your parents, it could be your best friends, right? So please think about them. You know, um, when 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 um, you discuss um, the firearm related issues with your uh, with a stakeholder, including your um, local legislators or federal legislators. And um, again, you know, as an advocate, that's what I wish that I could say, say out loud. Well, and then for all of our listeners who are as enthralled with this as Kelly and I are, uh, where can they go to learn more about you both and your work? So they could go to our website. Actually, they could just put CEDIS. Actually, I did that uh, CHDIS, CHDIS, uh, stand for Center for Health Disparity Innovation and Studies, and on the Google, and easily it will pop up. And so you could follow us, any of the, our work in Asian community, in, including uh, firearm and other very critical health initiatives. So I'm a researcher from the 
um, Institute for Fire Injury Prevention at University of Michigan, and you could find our website, firearminjury.umich.edu, and you will see a wide profile of research um, among our researchers, including myself, and uh, what uh, ongoing research are uh, happening right now. Well, and of course, I will link to all of those resources and more uh, in the description of this episode. So thank you so, so much, both of you, for coming on. So as, as usual, Kelly, I feel like there are 18 more podcasts we have to book now, <laughs> especially now that we know that more research is coming. So kudos to them on that grant. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what what new insights they get. Absolutely. I mean, I know that one thing that I'm immediately interested in is, you know, what are the storage options that folks are going to be to be following with? Because as we talk about, I think so often on this podcast, there's this belief that, you know, if I bring a firearm into my home, or I bring it around with me on my person, that's automatically somehow going to make me safer. And unfortunately, that isn't always the case, right? And so I, I think that that aspect of it, of, of the education and what folks are going to do as they become, you know, quote unquote, mature gun owners, right? They're not brand new gun owners anymore. I think that's going to be incredibly interesting to find out. Yeah, I agree. And kind of on that same note of further research, I was really struck by some of the limitations that they mentioned in terms of the ways in which data, to the extent that it covers, you know, Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders at all, can often just lump them all together in one category and sort of erase the nuances and the differences, which makes it harder to understand what's going on. And so that's something that, you know, with this, the further research that they're going to be doing, I'm so interested to see if they'll be able to get data that kind of gets into the nuances between uh, different Asian American and Pacific Islander groups um, to really get a, a true picture of exactly how people are experiencing racism and the ways that firearms do and don't interact with that across ethnic groups. Hey, want to share with the podcast? Listeners are now going to touch with us here at Red, Blue, and Brady via phone or text message. Simply call or text us at 480-744-3452 with your thoughts, questions, concerns, ideas, whatever. Kelly and I are standing by. Thanks for listening. As always, Brady's life-saving work in Congress, the courts, and communities across the country is made possible thanks to you. For more information on Brady or how to get involved in the fight against gun violence, please like and subscribe to the podcast. Get in touch with us at bradyunited.org or on social at Brady Buzz. Be brave. And remember, take action, not tight.